listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Tonight, I'm going to give you something. Uh, I don't even know if I've ever taught on this before, but I'm going to give you seven traps that cancel miracles. Seven traps that cancel miracles. God wants you to live a miraculous life. God wants you to live in the supernatural realm. And um, tonight, I'm going to show you from the scripture. Good evening, Ben. Love you guys. I'm going to show you from the scripture seven things that the enemy uses or tempts you to enter into that will cancel a supernatural life. Hallelujah. Seven things that you have to avoid that will cancel a supernatural life. And um, remember something. Paul, when he was speaking to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I believe it was chapter 3, he was rebuking them for spiritual immaturity, but then he said something um, regarding the way they were living. He said, are you not living like mere men? What is he doing? He's suggesting that now the Corinthians are more than mere human beings. Something happens to you when you get saved and you become more than a mere human being, a natural person. Let me, um, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. He said, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not yet ready. For you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? Now look at, look at this in verse 4. For, one, for when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Think about that. He said, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In the previous verse, you are behaving in only a human way. What's he doing? Paul is alluding to the fact that they're no longer merely human. They are supernatural people. Every, and I want you to put this in the comments tonight. Every believer is a supernatural person. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Every believer is a supernatural person. Pop that in the comments tonight because we're starting there. God created you as a supernatural being to access a supernatural lifestyle. That's right. That's right. Put it in the comments. Every believer is a supernatural person. As you're typing that, just say it out loud about yourself. I am 
a supernatural person. I am a supernatural person. That's what you're created to be. That's what you're anointed to be. It's what the devil doesn't want you to be, a supernatural person. So Paul, the reason he's rebuking them, he's trying, and, and re recognize this first, the Corinthian church is the most immature church in the New Testament. Most immature church. He said you're infants in Christ. Infants in Christ. And so he's trying to get it through into their spirit. You are supernatural people. You're not merely human anymore. Stop acting merely human. You're supernatural. So knowing that God has created us to be supernatural people and that we're to live a supernatural lifestyle, what can we do to make sure that we are accessing that supernatural lifestyle? Is there anything that can hinder a supernatural lifestyle? If there is, we've got to move it out of the way. If there are any obstacles or roadblocks to living a supernatural lifestyle, then we've got to move them out of the way. Hey, Teresa, no, this is not a replay. We're live. We're live right now. And so look at this now. I'm going to give you these. And I'm going to, I want you to get, I'm going to give you scripture. I'm going to give you these uh, steps. I'll add a bonus. I'll add the bonus first because obviously I'm talking to Christians, but I want you to hear something. This is why sin is such a killer that you have to get sin out. Don't allow sin to kill what it touches. So if you want to start with, uh, you know, an X or a zero, this, this is your, uh, this is your bonus for tonight. We'll start with this one because I'm addressing Christians and so I'm not talking about talking to sinners, but allowing sin in. Sin is a killer. So if you want to use an X or a zero as the first point tonight before I get into one through seven, sin has to be dealt with. Holiness is the master key to the blessings of heaven. Holiness is the master key to the blessings of heaven. Also, as you're jumping on tonight, as we've been doing, take a minute and share this broadcast on your social media. Text it to somebody, put it on your X, put it on your Facebook, whatever. Share it. Get it out. So listen to what um, listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 66. I want to read you verses 17 and 18. Psalm 66, verses 17 and 18. Look at this. Speaking of God, speaking of praying to God, I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. Look at verse 18 though. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Look at that. Psalm 66 verses 17 and 18. I cried to him with my mouth. High praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So sin is a killer, even in the realm of prayer being answered. Sin has to be destroyed. Sin has to be moved out in every capacity. Don't let it take hold. Don't let it have a place. The, Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 6, he said, sin will no longer have dominion over you. 
Sin will no longer have dominion over you. So sin has to go. Everything that would uh, be a stronghold has to go in Jesus' name. It has to go. He said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. But he said, he did hear me. He's listened to me. He's, he's attended the voice of my prayer. Hallelujah. So that's the bonus for tonight. And that should be a given, obviously, that sin has to get out of the way, out of your life. Sin's a killer and it kills everything it touches. It has to go. All right. Number one. Number one, we're talking about traps that obstruct your way to a life of miracles or a supernatural lifestyle. What are these traps the devil wants you to fall into to block your way to a supernatural lifestyle? Number one is ignorance. Please write that down. Number one is ignorance. The devil wants you in ignorance so that you don't live a supernatural lifestyle. He doesn't want you to live a life of miracles, breakthroughs, and that all stems from ignorance. I said this yesterday, and it bears repeating. Any area of your life where you don't have freedom, all it means is you don't have sufficient truth in that area of your life. That's it. Any area of your life... <clears throat> Do you know the only reason I was looking, I saw Ben full comment. Do you only, do you know the only reason that I don't ever do any coding like computer coding? I want to tell you the only reason that I don't ever do any computer coding is that I don't know how to code in computer code. I don't know any language. I don't know C plus plus. I don't know any of them. I don't know CSS. I don't know. I don't know any of them. I don't know one computer language, not one. The only reason I don't write code is because I don't know code. <laughs> That's the only reason. I don't have anything against writing code. I love uh, the ability to develop and to do things. I just don't know any. So ignorance is keeping me back from being a developer because I don't know any code. It's my ignorance. That's the only thing holding me back. And that's the key here. That's actually the foundational thing. That's the baseline thing that keeps most people back from a supernatural lifestyle because they don't have sufficient biblical knowledge and revelation of the truth. And as a result, they can't walk in it. That's why the devil wants to keep people in a place of darkness. And I mean, spiritual vision, their eyes are not enlightened. They don't have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. They've not been uh, renewed by that revelation of God's word. The Bible says, even in the Old Testament, God said, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So knowledge, he didn't say my people are destroyed because the devil's attacking. He said they have a lack of knowledge. They don't have sufficient truth to walk in freedom. To see supernatural things happen, to live a supernatural lifestyle. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free or make you free. You see that. 
And so the number one thing that keeps people from what God has for them in the supernatural realm is ignorance. Don't, and you know, I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all my heart, this is why the enemy puts such pressure and causes such pressure to come on pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets, those that minister to believers, those that minister to them, to not preach the full gospel of Christ. Let me just tell you, as, as a minister, and I've been doing this for over 20 years, and I can tell you that there is a pushback towards the supernatural message of the Bible. There's a pushback. You'll get one level of pushback when you preach salvation. You'll get a different level of pushback when you preach divine healing. You'll get a different level of pushback when you preach on deliverance and spiritual warfare. You'll get another level of pushback when you preach on prosperity and financial increase. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't want those things to be preached, taught, or spoken. Why? Because faith then comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The devil doesn't want the people of God knowing those things. So what does he do? Puts pressure on the preachers to not preach them. He puts pressure on the preachers to not preach those things. <laughs> yeah. And he uses all these attacks and make us make, makes people... And, and, you know, it's, it's uh, attacks against people, p- people's character. And, you know, oh, they're just charlatans. They're greedy. That's why they preach that message. Or they're, they're fakes. They're trying to fake miracles to trick people. And all these different things they try to do to, to talk about and say about preachers. It's an attack of the devil to keep the truth. And, and then you know, what, you know what I hear? I've had people say this. Well, you know, brother, I don't get into all that stuff. I just preach Jesus. Well, let me give you a heads up. You can't just preach Jesus without preaching healing. You can't just preach Jesus without preaching the Holy Ghost. You can't just preach Jesus without preaching increase and talking about deliverance because Jesus does all of these things and he is what he does. So there's, of course, there's pushback because the devil doesn't want us walking in total freedom. He doesn't want us. He wants us to be broke. As one guy said, broke is a joke and about to choke. He wants us to be bound up. He wants us to be sick and diseased. He wants us to be in a place, in an invisible prison, not able to get out. He wants us to be bound by sin. He doesn't want us in freedom. So what does he do? One of the things he does is puts pressure on the preachers to not talk about these things so that the truth of God's word cannot be built up in your heart so that you don't walk by faith and have the knowledge to get outside of that attack of the devil. Pretty slick. But that's why I refuse to bow my knee to any religious spirit, any demonic force, any antichrist agenda ever. Ever. I'm going to say what the Bible says. I'm going to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ unashamedly. Unashamedly. Because it is what brings freedom to God's people. I absolutely believe that. Vera said, Pastor Rodney always says, if you compromise your sermons because of people's opinions, you're trafficking and merchandising the anointing. And I totally agree. Totally agree. You become a hireling. They stick, they stick little pastor up there. Go up and preach your little message. Only preach what we told you. I've seen board-controlled churches that the board of the church controls the pastor. 
tells him what to preach, what he can't preach on. And if he says something that's over the line, they'll let him know. We don't want to hear that ever again from the pulpit. Oh, yeah, fully controlled. Why? The devil wants to use people that are malleable, that can be controlled and manipulated to manipulate the word of God. Notice, notice how it functioned with Daniel. Daniel was unashamed that he was in a godless nation and still praying to the only true and living God. And wicked men knew it. And they said, there's no way. He's got such favor on his life. We're going to have to go as far as to make prayer illegal just to stop him. <laughs> and so they went to the king. Manipulate. What they do? They manipulated the leadership to try to bring an end to supernatural things. And the king, oh yeah, sure, we'll make that illegal. Oh, they can only pray to me, the king. Did that stop Daniel? No. He still prayed in the same place he always prayed, threw the windows open, and prayed. And they arrested him. And they threw him into the lion's den. But God shut the mouths of the lions and preserved Daniel's life. And notice that. I got to do something to manipulate the leadership so that that can't happen. And that's still what the devil wants to do today. Manipulate the leadership so that the truth can't come to pass so that people's hearts can't be built up and they receive faith to do and have what God said they can have. But that's not coming to pass in your life. You're going to have supernatural manifestations of God's power and you're going to see the goodness of God manifested quickly in 2024. We are under open heavens. Hallelujah. Open heavens in 2024. We're going to have it. Ignorance will not be our story in Jesus' name. If you're just jumping on, share this broadcast. So important. Avoid these seven traps of your, that try to prevent or keep back your miracles, your supernatural lifestyle. Avoid them at all costs. Don't be someone that's satisfied with where you are. Push for more knowledge. Push for more revelation. That's why the Apostle Paul even prayed for the Ephesian church and said, Lord, grant them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Let the eyes of their understanding be enlightened to know the hope of your glorious calling. Yeah, because revelation knowledge opens doors. In the, the more I know, the higher I can go. Love you, Brother Chris. Put it in the comments. The more I know, the higher I can go. The more I know, the higher I can go. The more I know, the higher I can go. It is the truth that brings freedom. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The more I know, the higher I can go. Thank you, Jesus. And that's why the word of God is preeminent. It takes first place in our life because it is fuel for increase. God's word is fuel for increase. The more I know, the higher I can go. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So the number one uh, trap that the devil wants you to fall into is the trap of ignorance. Don't allow yourself to stay in the dark. Number two, second thing that cancels a supernatural lifestyle, that cancels your miracles from taking place, is simply doubt. And doubt's easy to fall into. It's easy to look at what's going on in the world and say, well, I don't think things are going to ever turn around. It's easy to base your expectations on what you see. It's easy to base your expectations on what you saw on Fox News and CNN and C-SPAN. It's easy to look at the reports of the specialists uh, and say, oh, yeah, well, I don't know if this is the best year to start my business or launch my ministry. Or, but no, 
It's easy to listen to what you see in the natural realm and hear in the natural realm and let it affect your expectation. But doubt is a killer. You cannot doubt in your heart and expect to have a supernatural lifestyle. Mark chapter 11, and we were here this morning just kind of sitting on this passage that Brother Hagin uh, taught so often. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. Let me read it to you now. The Bible says, Jesus is speaking here as well, by the way. And he said, um, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. There's the key. It's not just about speaking to the mountain. It's not just about speaking to the mountain. It's about not doubting in your heart. I refuse to doubt. I heard one preacher say this. If you're going to doubt anything, doubt your doubts. <laughs> if you're going to doubt anything, doubt your doubts. And so he said, you can speak to the mountain, be taken up, be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received and it will be yours. There it is. Believe, not doubt. Believe that you've received and it will be yours. Hallelujah. So don't allow doubt in in any area of your life. If you even sense doubt starting, cut it out. Cut out doubt. If you even sense it beginning, remove it from your life. I don't, that's not my mindset. I don't think like that. I don't believe like that. No, not me. I'm a faith person. I don't doubt God. Hallelujah. I don't doubt God. I don't doubt his word. I don't doubt his power, his ability, his willingness. I don't doubt any of it. I refuse to doubt. I refuse to doubt. It's a trap that the devil, what's the, what's the first thing that we have on record that the devil said? What's the first thing? Did God really say, talking to Eve. What's he trying to do? Get her to doubt what God said. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Well, is that what God said? No. He's already manipulating God's word. Already manipulating God's word. Did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? No, that's not what he said. No, he said you can't eat from this tree. Satan loves to manipulate God's word and try to get you to doubt God's word. I refuse. I refuse to doubt. That's the last thing you're going to ever catch me doing is doubting God's word, doubting God himself, his nature, his character, his ability, his power. Never. If I'm going to doubt anything, I'll doubt my doubts. Hallelujah. And I believe the word. But let me talk to you about number three that's closely related. Closely related. And you know what that is? Double-mindedness. That's number three. Third trap that the enemy would use to keep you from your supernatural lifestyle, from your miracles, double-mindedness. That's close to, that's doubt's cousin. That's doubt's cousin. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? What is double-mindedness? What does it even look like? It's when people have faith, 
But then they also let in a little bit of doubt. They're not fully in doubt, but they're not fully in faith. Hear that. They're not fully in doubt, but they're not fully in faith. Double-mindedness. They're of two minds on the subject. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, uh, I'll start with verse 5. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything of the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So look, if you had doubt, if you were just fully in doubt, you're not going to ask God for something because you don't even believe it's going to come. You're not going to ask it. You're in doubt. But if you're double-minded, you have faith. You'll ask him, believe in, oh, God, do this. I'm asking. And then the next, the next minute, oh, you go back. I don't know. It's not going to happen. I, God, uh, And the next minute, yes, he will. God's going to come through. I'm believing for this. is going to be our miracle. This is going to be our time. And then the next minute, I don't know. This, uh, this is rough. I mean, I'm just dealing. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And you hear people talk like that. One minute they're for it, the next minute they don't know, the next minute they're believing God, the next minute they're unsure. They're going back and forth, as Glenn said, waffling. They're waffling. They're going back and forth and back and forth. Don't go back and forth. You're not of two minds on the subject. You're of one mind. You're single-minded. You're not double-minded. That's why I say this is the cousin of doubt. Because you're not totally in doubt. You're not sitting there like, God can't do this. This is too much. I don't believe. No, no, no. You, you believed him enough to ask him. You believed enough to confess it, and then things come and begin to happen. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work out, you know, even if God doesn't. Hallelujah. No, I've heard people pray like that. Father, I pray that you would heal our brother. But, Lord, even if the healing doesn't come, Lord, even if the deliverance doesn't come, we know you're always good. And that's not a prayer of faith. That's not a prayer of faith. To ask God and then tell him, well, Lord, even if you don't do it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying that to God? Can you imagine if God was standing right in front of you? Lord, would you heal this man? Yes, I will. Okay, but even if you don't do it, I just, no. That's his will. That's his will. That's his way. <laughs> Kevin said, that's why they're hanging out at the Waffle House, because they've been waffling. They're waffling left and right. Double-minded. Don't let that trap be the trap that gets you. Don't let doubt's cousin come in and run into your house and keep you from a supernatural lifestyle. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not allowing it in my life. That's a trap. I wish I could tell you how many believers are right here right now. I wish I could tell you how many people I've dealt with, talked to, experienced, prayed for that are right here right now. This is the thing that gets them. Double-mindedness. I'll have people come forward. Now, think about this scenario. I'll be in the middle of a service. I'll call people forward. If you need prayer for this, if you're believing for this, I want you to come. I'm going to pray for you. People will come. They'll get out of their seat and come believing, I, I need that. I need God to do that. And then I'll say to them at the altar, you believe God's going to touch you tonight? I hope so. That's not faith. You hope so. So you had enough faith to get out of your seat and come to the altar and receive that prayer. And then somebody asks you, you believe God's going to do it? Well, I hope he will. No, that's double-mindedness. That's double-mindedness. Either you believe him or you don't believe him. Either he will or he won't. It's one or the other. It's not both. And this is where so 
many people get hung up. They're not in total doubt, but they are double-minded. My dad was praying for a lady one time. She was deaf. Her son brought her. Came up. My father laid hands on her. Her ears opened by the power of God. I mean supernaturally and instantly opened when he prayed for her ears, her hearing. They were leaving, and uh, a little while after the service ended, the son ran back in the sanctuary and said, Brother Ted, you got to come. you got to come right now. He said, what's the issue? He said, Mom's locked herself in the car. And for a minute, he was, uh, you know, oh, my goodness, she's locked. Then he thought to himself, well, she's locked in the car. She can let herself out of the car. He said, no, she locked. she's locking me out. She's mad. She's locked herself in the car, won't let me in because she's mad. He said, what's she mad about? He said, she lost her hearing again after she left the service. She got healed, got her miracle, now now it's gone. My dad's like, already? Like, it's already lost? We just finished the service. You lost your miracle that quick? He said, yeah. He said, well, what were you guys talking about on the way out of the service? What were you guys talking about as you were leaving? He said, well, I had just said to her, Mom, isn't it great how God healed you tonight and how, how you got your hearing back? And he said, she said to me, yeah, I hope it lasts. And he said, the moment that she said, I hope it lasts, she lost her hearing again. Went right back to double-mindedness. I hope it lasts. Double-mindedness. It's unstable. The Bible says, unstable in all your ways. Don't let that person think they'll receive anything from the Lord. Not anything. You've got to ask in faith with no doubting in your heart. That's why I say double-mindedness is doubt's cousin. Because it's not straight up doubt, but it's also not faith. You're somewhere in the middle going back and forth, back and forth. That's not going to be your story in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you one nobody, almost nobody talks about. Back over to Mark chapter 11. Here's the fourth trap that keeps you from walking in the supernatural, supernatural lifestyle. Keep your miracles from coming to you. And that's not going to be your story in Jesus' name. But as we pop back over to Mark chapter 11, we, we're so familiar with hearing those three verses, Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. And then the two verses that come after, the ones I just read to you. Truly I say to you, whoever has says to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, believes what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received and it will be yours. Was Jesus done speaking? No. He had more to say. Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. There it is. 25th verse is key. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive, may also forgive your trespasses. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says faith works by or expresses itself in love. If you don't walk in love, your faith stops working. And if your faith stops working, the supernatural stops flowing. If you don't walk in love. So the, the, the fourth trap that the devil tries to use is to keep people from walking in love. 
which includes forgiveness, which I'm seeing in the comments. People are walking around in unforgiveness. They're not walking in love. They're holding grudges. They're bitter against people. They're jealous. They're all kinds of issues. Division, fighting, issues, problems. The devil loves that. The devil loves that. Doesn't want you walking in love. Did you ever think about this? Why it's so vital to walk in love? People wonder, why is it so vital to walk in love? Faith, hope, and love. These three will endure forever, but the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest of these love? Why will it endure forever? Why, why does faith work by love? Did you ever think of it this way? John wrote this. Because God is love. <laughs> John wrote that. God is love. The reason faith works by love is because God is love. Why do you think without faith, it's impossible to please God? Because you can't have faith if you're not in love and God is love. That's displeasing to God. So when people don't walk in love, when they hold grudges, when they're bitter, when they gossip and when they're angry and they're division and all that, it can't work. Love can't work and then faith can't work. Yeah, Bill Burdett put, why, love never fails. Why do we think love never fails? Because God never fails. God never fails. And so understand this tonight. If the devil can pull us out of walking in love, he can pull us out of faith. If he pulls us out of faith, pulls us out of the supernatural lifestyle. <laughs> That's why there's such a temptation, such a temptation to get bitter, to get angry at your fellow believer, to hold a grudge, to not forgive, hold things in your heart, bent out of shape, can't walk in love, always have an issue. Why? Because the devil knows if I can just get you doing that alone, it'll stop a supernatural lifestyle. It'll pull you out of a place where you're pleasing to God. Because faith works by love. When you stand praying, forgive. There it is. When you stand praying, forgive. And so one of the things you're going to see often is that the devil works hard. Look at our churches across America. What is the devil trying to do? Bring division, bring anger, get people at each, other, at each other's throats. All those things. Why? Because that division keeps faith from working. And then you can't be walking a supernatural uh, lifestyle or atmosphere. It just can't happen. And it will not happen. That's why love is above all things. Love is above all things. Love is above all things. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love never fails. Glory to God. And if you want to see how love manifests in your life, read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not insist upon its own way. Right? So getting offended and people taking offense. Actually, one of the greatest things I ever heard along these lines were committing an offense and getting offended are two different events. <laughs> Let me say that again. Committing an offense and getting offended are two different events. Just because someone commits an offense against you doesn't mean you have to get offended. Did you know it's possible for someone to commit an offense against you and you not get offended? I can still walk in love. Even if someone said something about me, spread a rumor, whatever it might be, they wronged me. They can commit an offense and I cannot be offended. That means you've got a choice. 
You've got a choice. When somebody does something they shouldn't do, that's why in the New Living Translation, I believe it's in the book of Colossians, the Bible says that we're to make room for one another's faults. I always tell, I always call it putting a buffer in between you and other believers. There should be a buffer. There should be a buffer because you know people are going to make mistakes. You know people are going to do things they shouldn't do. They're going to mess up, have a bad day, say a thing they shouldn't have said. <laughs> people have flesh that's not put under. They're just going to, so there's days people are going to do stuff. They'll say things they regret later. They'll do things that they shouldn't have done. They'll go, you know, all these things. That's why the Bible says, make room, make room for one another's faults. Make room. Why? That's a buffer. It's called grace. That's right, Tammy. It's called grace. There's a buffer. My, I'm way back here. You're not going to touch this part and I'm be offended because you know what? I've got this buffer. You're out here. You might come over the line. You might keep stepping over the line. But guess what? I've already created a buffer for you because I already saw the word of God said that I should expect people to make mistakes. Not that we're trying to live in a, a life that, where we make mistakes. We're not trying to make mistakes, but understand people make mistakes. People make mistakes, but you know what I've done? Created a buffer so that even if they do, I'm not going to get mad at them, not going to get offended at them, and then be bent out of shape and bitter and bring division to our, no, 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 it's called grace. I'm going to have grace for somebody's fault. Amen. I'll love them. I'll help them. I'll pick them up. And that's what the Bible says. If anybody has something against you, they, there's something, there's an issue between you and them, they have a, a relationship issue, there's a fellowship issue, what does the Bible say? Go to that person privately, not post a vaguely worded pa- post on Facebook about them and not DM others on Instagram about them. And, no, go to that person privately. Go to them privately and begin to talk to them about the offense. And if you can win them, you've won your brother back. You've won your sister back. I wouldn't say go to 17 other people and talk about what happened. You'll never believe what went down. You won't believe what he said. You won't believe what she said. This is insane. Let me tell you it. We need to pray. No, go to that person privately, privately and handle your business. Now, if you're trying to bring restoration, let me just give you a word here because this will keep you in a supernatural lifestyle. If you go to that person, Brandon said, yeah, and it may take more than one try. True. If you go to that person and they don't receive you, the Bible says, they don't receive you. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not resolving this. No, I'm okay. If they won't receive you, the Bible says, take some brothers back with you as witnesses to try to restore the relationship, not to prove your point, not to bring a gang and and intimidate and gang up on the person. No, as witnesses to try to bring restoration to the relationship. Love is important. Peace is important. But the Bible says if they then still don't receive you, they won't reconcile, they won't make it right, then the Bible says bring it to the church or, you know, the the elders or the leaders of the church to try to bring that reconciliation. We don't need division in the church. We do not need uh, people holding grudges, people being upset, angry. It's, It's foolishness. It'll destroy you. And the Bible says, and then if that person won't even listen to the elders of the church, they still won't be reconciled. They still won't be restored in relationship. Then the Bible says, then have nothing more to do with them and treat that person like a, a, 
a, a Gentile or a tax collector, that's somebody that, if you look, understand the cultural reference, that's a, a traitor. If you don't know, the Romans, because the, the Jerusalem was under Roman occupation, the Romans would hire Jews to go do the tax collecting, and the Jews were collecting more money from their brethren than they should have, skimming off the top, and other Jews looked at Jewish tax collectors, like Matthew, as crooks, as traitors. And that's what uh, the Bible's saying here, is that after three chances, if they still won't reconcile, then guess what? Treat them like a traitor, because they are a traitor, because they're bringing division inside the body of Christ. That's right. So you have to fight for unity. You got to fight for love among your brethren and among the people in the family of God. Because if the devil can get us fighting against each other, bringing division, walking in, uh, um, holding offense and all this other stuff, grudges, it stops faith from working and then it stops the supernatural. One time, I'll tell you this, this is a powerful, uh, this is a really powerful uh, story. One of the earliest um, revivals my father had when he just had gotten married. So he traveled for a little bit while my mother was still in Bible school. Then they got married. Then they traveled together. And if you've heard me tell this, this is funny, but it, it, it's powerful. He went to this church. He'd never been to this church before. And um, he got there Sunday morning. He and my mom are there. My mom's on the front row. He's there. And then they give him the microphone to preach, and he's ready to, to preach his ser first sermon of this revival, this week-long revival. And he hears the Holy Ghost say, tell everybody to repent. I can't move in this church. Tell everybody to repent, and you'll be back tonight. <laughs> he said, what in the world? They, he'd never been there before. They didn't know him. So he got up, took the microphone, and he said, folks, the Lord says he cannot move in this church. He cannot release the anointing or the power of his spirit in this church. He said, said to tell all of you to repent and I'll be back tonight and we'll start the revival. And he, and he just folded up his Bible and said, come on, Bonnie, we're leaving. And they walked out in the middle at the beginning of the service. Come on, Bonnie, we're leaving. And they left, left everybody sitting there in, in, the, uh, in the church service. And they went to a diner and got some breakfast. And I'm sure they're sitting there, I don't know how that went down. They came back and the pastor said what happened. Now, see, my dad didn't know this, but he's being led by the Spirit. That church had fallen victim to family feuding for years. Family feuding for years. And so you had large, two large families in the church. One sat on this side of the church and the other large family, they filled this side of the church and they wouldn't even cross the aisle. I mean, like it's Republicans, Democrats. They wouldn't cross the aisle. They wouldn't speak to one another. They wouldn't interact with one another. There was just straight up division in that church. Well, what now you say, why do you think the Lord said, I can't move in this church? <laughs> People holding grudges, division, problems, not walking in love. How can the Holy Spirit move in that? And he said, something going on that God can't move. You need to repent and I'll be back tonight. The pastor said, when you left the service, something supernatural happened. Now, this had been going on for generations and probably so long that they couldn't even remember why they were mad at each other. But he said, after you left, people started getting up from both sides, crying, crossing the aisle, and started hugging, started forgiving one another. 
started coming back into fellowship. He said, I've never seen anything like it. Just, just, it broke. It broke. And everybody began to forgive one another and hug and come back into fellowship. Came back that night and the power of God hit that place. Revival broke out in that church. My dad was there, the powerful revival. The pastor says the best uh, revival he'd ever had. And it was the best state. This made, this, the end part made me laugh because my dad told me, he said the pastor was so happy with how the revival went and the state of the church, he got up on the last night and he said, folks, this is the best place, this is the best state this church has ever been in since I've been the pastor. I'm submitting my resignation. I'm going out on a high note. <laughs> and the pastor resigned while, while the church was at its highest point. They had breakthrough. They had turnaround. What happened? There was uh, this failure to walk in love that was keeping them from the supernatural. That's what that does. It keeps you from walking in your supernatural lifestyle God created you for, designed you for. Amen. And that's number five. Number six, what's the sixth thing that keeps you from your supernatural lifestyle? Write it down, disobedience. Disobedience. When the Lord says to do a particular thing, You've got to do a particular thing. That's what breaks the miracle out. Now, we dealt with sin at the beginning of this broadcast. And of course, that was the bonus, sin. And of course, all disobedience to the Lord is sin. Because if God tells you to do something, you don't do it. That's a sin. The Bible says, to him that knows to do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So all disobedience is sin. But did you ever think about this too? If the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something and you refuse to do it, it's going to cut off the flow of the supernatural in your life. When you're led by the Spirit and you quickly obey, it opens up a supernatural flow of God's favor in your life. Yes, number five was a failure to walk in love, Jessica. That's right, Tammy, a failure to walk in love. That's what number five was. Failure to walk in love. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that was four. This is five. I'm sorry, I skipped a number. This is five. Disobedience. Sorry about that, everybody. I'm still learning to count. This is number five. Disobedience. And of course, as I said, we covered sin, but I want you to hear this now. Anytime the Holy Spirit leads you to do something, he's not manipulating you to control you. He's trying to take you into increase. He's trying to take you into increase. And so number five, disobedience, when people refuse to obey the voice of the Lord, it cuts off God from being able to work in their life. Did you ever think about the thought, um, or the story I should say, in the Old Testament, there was a man named Naaman who had leprosy. And if he wanted to have the supernatural flow to receive what God had for him, his healing, what was the instruction from the prophet? Go to the river and dunk seven times. Go to the river and dunk seven times. Well, he could have dunked three and the leprosy would have still been on him because that wasn't the instruction, was it? Dip yourself seven times in the water. That was Naaman's instruction. If he wanted the miracle that God had for him, if he wanted to break the supernatural thing God had for him, what does he have to do? He has to obey the instruction that he was given. 
Disobedience keeps people out of the supernatural. It absolutely does. There's people, I had a guy come up to me one time in a, in a, a revival at the end of the service. He said, would you pray for me? I said, how can I pray for you? He said, well, the Lord called me to preach about 22 years ago, and I'm just believing God that that's going to come to pass. I'm thinking to myself, 22 years ago, what have you been doing? What have you been doing? You know what I wanted to say to him? Never mind, I'm not going to pray. I'm sure he's found somebody else by now. (laughs) I'm sure he found somebody else by now. Remember something, God has tasks he wants completed in the earth. He ain't waiting 22 years on you. Can you imagine if I called a contractor or if I called a landscaper or if I tried to schedule a surgery and they said, yeah, no problem. It's going to be about 22 years. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, thanks. I'll find somebody else because there's a job I want done. There's something I want accomplished. I want something built. I want my landscaping completed. I want the surgery, whatever it might be. There's something I want done. I ain't waiting 22 years. And God's the same. Why why do we think God's okay with us delaying to obey his call for 22 years? That's straight up ridiculous. Felt like looking at me in the eyes like 22 years. Don't worry about it. I'm sure God found somebody. (laughs) I'm sure God found somebody. Would you pray for me? 22 years ago, the Lord spoke to me to begin to do, no, disobedience. And they're wondering why they're struggling. I don't know why. I mean, I've been struggling. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord told you to do something 22 years ago, and you're still waiting to do it. You're still waiting to bring it to pass. Why would we make God wait like that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you've never written that down, put it down. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Huh. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Hannah said in the comments, I remember the exact moment the Lord said to help your father with the Atlanta crusade and the number of breakthroughs we got last year because of it was amazing. Why? Because she simply obeyed. It's not like she didn't have other things going on. Helping, at one point, extremely pregnant. (laughs) And still helping. Showing up ready to have any any moment during that tent crusade. That baby was coming. And she's willing and obedient. And breakthroughs come. Why? Because when you obey the instructions of the Lord, that's when the, the supernatural is released. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. I always use the, (laughs) I had to deal with my son last night because I told him, I said, you go upstairs and brush your teeth, get your jammies on, we're going to bed. And I, 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 he goes up the stairs and I start hearing the basketball bounce in his room. He's got one of those little rubber basketballs with the thing on the door, the rim and the backboard on the door. And I'm up there and I told him, you go straight up, go straight in the bathroom, brush your teeth, get your jammies on, we're going to bed. And I start hearing the basketball bounce. And I, see, I hear a shot, and I hear he's playing basketball in his room. He's not doing what I asked him to do. Now, in his mind, he might say, well, I'm going to. I'm, go- I'm, go- I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm going to brush my teeth in a minute, in a minute. That's not what I told you to do, though. I told you to go straight in the bathroom and brush your teeth, get your jammies on, we're going to bed. 
So what does that mean? Delayed obedience is still disobedience. You can say to me all you want, well, I'm, I'm, I was headed that way. I just had a few, you know, uh, minutes of basketball to play first. Or No, I didn't tell you to do that. I said, go straight to the bathroom. Go straight to the bathroom. Brush your teeth. Get your jammies on. We're going straight to bed. So here is a, a common question that's in the comments. I failed to follow an instruction. Will you please pray for me? What should I do now? Notice, you're only ever one turn away from being right back on track. Repent. Ask the Lord. I'm sorry. I missed that instruction. What would you have me to do now? If it's a time-sensitive instruction that you can't take anymore, for example, something he told you to do that the time limit has passed on it and you can no longer make that choice, then you need to ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do now? I'm sorry I missed that one, but by your grace, what would you have me to do now? And the Holy Spirit will lead you and the Holy Spirit will guide you. But let me say something to you. This is why it's not that God doesn't have mercy. He has mercy. It's not that he doesn't have grace. He has grace. But let me tell you, this is why we cannot take it lightly when the Lord speaks to us. Don't, when you hear God tell you to do something, you know it in your spirit. Don't take it lightly. Say why? Because as I heard a preacher say it this way one time. He said some, this was um, Pastor Daniel Olukoya in Nigeria, Pastor Daniel Olukoya. He said, some mistakes are easy to recover from. Other mistakes are very hard to recover from. And some mistakes you never recover from. Think about that. Now, I'm believing that's not going to be your story. God will have mercy. God will have grace. But remember, this is not a light thing. When the Holy Spirit speaks a word to you, get on that thing. Accomplish it as quickly as you can. Because remember that. Some mistakes are easy to recover from. Other mistakes, they're hard to recover from. Some mistakes you never recover from. There are some people that made a serious error. Now, I don't believe that it just happens. I believe God gives you opportunity after opportunity. He warns you. He warns you. sends people to talk to you because he doesn't want to see you be destroyed. But some people do not. They will not turn. So as a result, God lets people do what they want to do, what they choose to do, and then some mistakes you never recover from. It remains, that effect of that mistake remains for the rest of your life. It's not that God doesn't forgive you. Of course he forgives you. No question he does. But there are things that will remain. Things that will remain. There are some things that take years to recover from. Think about the children of Israel. Some of the people in the camp of Israel got to enter into the promised land, but it was the next generation. But a, a trip that should have taken 11 days took 40 years. It's 11 days journey from where they were to where they were going. But after they disobeyed, they had to wander for 40 years until the old crowd died off in the wilderness because God's wrath said, you'll not enter into the promise because of your unbelief. And then... The next generation rose up and they went into the promise. But it was 40 years later. That's a mistake that took 40 years to, to recover from. 
And some people that were in the nation of Israel did not recover from it. They died in the wilderness without seeing the promise. So for some, it took a long time to recover from that mistake. And for others, they never recovered from it. So don't be flippant when God gives you a word. Don't be flippant when God gives you an instruction. Don't do it. Because some things are harder than others to recover from. Samson's ministry never went back to where it was. Though the Lord mercifully allowed him to kill more Philistines in his final act than in his whole ministry, his ministry never went back to where it was as a judge. After he made that mistake, it was irreparable. They took his eyes out, they cut his hair. He, he He didn't go on judging Israel in the same way. It's a mistake that he did not recover from. Although the Lord let him have one more victory, didn't recover. Think about that now. Don't be flippant. When God gives you a word, when God leads and guides you, don't be flippant. Take it seriously. Let me read you something that'll help you. I got to just locate this. So I want you to have the exact reference. I believe it's 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I want you to go down with me to verses 30. Yeah, I want to read verse 30. 1 Samuel 2.30 Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And so when you quickly obey an instruction from God, that's you honoring God. But when you don't, you lightly esteem him, he'll lightly esteem you. God puts you where you put him. Think about that. God puts you, and I'm not going to miss my miracles because of disobedience. Let me give you two more. Number six, pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride's a killer. The Bible says God opposes the proud. He's working against the proud right now. He's working against the proud. Do you think that means that miracles are breaking loose for the proud? No. He's opposing the proud, but he gives more grace, more favor to the humble. Philippians 4, 6. Excuse me, James 4, 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. Let me correct myself. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives more grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. The word therefore, 
I always tell people in Bible study made simple if you're taking the course. If you see a therefore in the text, see why it, what it's there for. It's referring back to the previous phrase. God resists the proud, gives more grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore. Because of that truth, the Bible says, submit yourself therefore to God. That's an act of humility. Therefore, submit yourself unto God and then resist the devil and he'll flee. There's a reason that the devil's not fleeing from every Christian because not everybody has submitted themselves to God in humility. Pride brings destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Let me give you the final one before we pray. And that is number seven, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness keeps you out of the supernatural. I'm going to say that again. Prayerlessness keeps you out of the supernatural realm. Prayerlessness, if you refuse to pray, if you refuse to press in, if you refuse to talk to God, it keeps you from being able to operate in the supernatural realm. See, where's that in the Bible? Mark chapter 9. The disciples who were supposed to be operating in the supernatural realm could not, and when they asked Jesus why they couldn't, he said, because you don't pray like I do. This kind of demon that you tried to cast out but could not cast out, this kind of demon doesn't come out by anything except by prayer, Mark 9, 29. By prayer. He said, you're not praying, and as a result, you can't release supernatural power. You can't walk in a supernatural life because you're not praying like you should be. You're not praying like you should be. James chapter 5 and verse 16. The prayers of a righteous man or woman make much power available. Much power available. Hallelujah. Don't be prayerless. Don't be prayerless. Be a believer who prays, not just before you go to bed, not just over your food, that calls out on God, cries out, asking God. And I covered uh, just recently the multiple types of prayer that you need to get involved with. Go back and watch that. If you didn't watch that, go back through our live streams. Just the last, I don't know, it's in our, it's in our um, playlist we made for this, this time of fasting and prayer 2024. But one of those broadcasts that I did, I talked about how to boost your prayer time. I believe that was the title, was it not? How to boost your prayer time. And what I'm talking about in the how to boost your prayer time um, video is I'm talking about the types of prayer. Here's the playlist right here. The, the broadcast is called Seven Ways to Boost Your Prayer. This was from night six, fast night six, seven ways to boost your prayer. What I'm teaching you in that broadcast is that there are seven different types of prayer you need to engage and that'll help you to call out on God. It's not just asking him for your requests. There's kingdom prayers. There's consecration prayers. There's intercession prayers. There's all kinds that you need to get involved with. And when you cry out to God, when you call on God, God begins to work on your behalf. If you are not prayerful, there was a man by the name of E.M. Bounds. He was a preacher. He wrote, he was a Methodist minister. He wrote, I believe, 12 books in his lifetime. But nine of those books were on the subject of prayer. And he's the one, if you've ever heard this quote, he's the one that, he's the originator of this quote. Much prayer much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. E.M. Bounds. He's the one that said that. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. 
the prayers of a righteous man or woman makes much power available as it's working. Hallelujah. Jesus said there are certain types of demonic spirits, as we're doing spiritual warfare, certain types that do not move out of your way without prayer. Prayer allows you to release the power of God in your life. Hallelujah. I heard that uh, testimony, Beverly, powerful. She said, I prayed for a few guys this week. One was healed of cancer and the other doesn't use his walker anymore, all because of fasting and prayer we're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful job, Beverly. That's amazing. That's an amazing, those are both amazing testimonies of God's goodness. How did Beverly release that kind of power in her life? Through prayer, through prayer and fasting. Another lady in our church prayed for a man that was her neighbor who was going in also cancer diagnosis, prayed for him, came back, can't find trace of the cancer. How does that kind of power get released? Through prayer, through prayer. So we're going to take a few minutes here at the end of this broadcast. I'm trusting that each day of this fast, you're pressing in with prayer during your time of fasting. At least an hour of a day of prayer, pressing in, seeking God's face. But I want you to join me right now and begin to pray. Father, we come into your presence now with thanksgiving, with praise. We're so thankful for the things you've already done on this fast. Thank you for these miracles that are bursting forth, these miracles that are taking place that nobody can explain away and that doctors are even seeing and their minds will be blown. Cancer's being healed. Crippling conditions are, are, are leaving. Blood diseases are going. Skin diseases are going. Issues in the muscles and the organs have to leave. We thank you, Lord, you're doing it. Because part of our promise from fasting and prayer is that our healing or our health would spring forth speedily. Our healing, our health would spring forth speedily. And so, Lord, I thank you right now. That's what's taking place. Our healing is bursting forth. People are receiving strength in their body as we fast and pray. Beverly herself testified, it's been 10 days with no diabetic medication. Healing is springing forth speedily. God is doing it. And we thank you, Lord, that you are doing it. We thank you, Lord, that you are working. You're doing what your word said. We thank you. You're not a man that you should lie, nor a son of man that you have to change your mind or take back your words. Have you not said it and will you not do it? Have you not spoken and will you not bring it to pass? And so, Lord, I thank you. You're bringing it to pass quickly for us, that you're touching us by your spirit. I thank you that we won't be the same people after we come out of this time of prayer and fasting. This will not be the same people. Our business will not be the same. Our family will not be the same. Our ministries won't be the same in the name of Jesus Christ. You're working on our behalf. You're moving on our behalf in Jesus' name. And so I thank you, Lord, that we're under open heavens. We're under open heavens and you are pouring out blessing after blessing, favor after favor, miracle after miracle. Do what only you can do, Lord, in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do in the name of Jesus Christ. And I give you honor. I give you thanks. I give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm praying for unsaved loved ones now. Those that are stuck, those that seem like they're in invisible prisons, 
other family members have said, I don't know, they're in a rough place. I don't know that they'll ever be saved. No, we're asking you to let our family members receive a touch from the Holy Ghost. Convict them of their sin, Lord. Bring them in to the kingdom. Let this be the year that they're saved and that our entire family comes to Christ and we can declare, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Let this be the year, Lord. Let this be the time that we have the promise that you've set aside for us in Jesus' name. Do what no eye has seen, do what no ear has heard, do what no heart has imagined in the name of Jesus Christ. And do it, we ask you quickly. Work swiftly on our behalf, Lord, in Jesus' name. Work swiftly on our behalf. And I thank you, legs are being healed, feet are being healed, hands are being healed, arthritis has to go, stiffness, joint pain has to go, neuropathy has to go by the power of the Holy Ghost. Things are changing for the better forever. We ask you once again, send revival to America in a fresh measure. Touch the 50 states, touch the territories, touch Canada, touch Central and South America, touch East and Western Europe, touch, I pray, the Eastern nations. I pray that you would touch Australia. I pray you touch China, Russia. Let revival hit in the least likely places in the name of Jesus Christ. Move by your spirit. Lord, do a mighty work in South Florida by the power of the Holy Ghost. Do a mighty work in South Florida. Lord, from uh, Port St. Lucie, West Palm Beach, all the way down. We thank you. South Florida is receiving a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Lord, all the way from the very tip at the bottom, all the way down in the Keys, we thank you. All the way up to West Palm Beach and Port St. Lucie, people are being changed by the power of your Spirit. Let South Florida be shaken by the mighty hand of God. Let revival hit. I pray that you would use us to make an impact. Let Miracle Word Church do uh, what you've called us to do and make a mighty impact before Jesus comes. Send souls from every direction in the name of Jesus Christ. This is our year for mighty expansion, mighty expansion in the name of Jesus. And I thank you. It's coming to pass. Mighty expansion in Jesus name. We give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus name. Strengthen your people. Now tonight I pray for every member of Miracle Word Church. I pray for every Victory Tribe member tonight. Strengthen their body. Give them rest. Give them wisdom beyond their years. I pray you give them a new vision for this year. I pray you open doors for them that would not previously open. Let this be our year of constant breakthroughs under an open heaven. We thank you for it. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' mighty name, we say amen. Glory to God. We say a loud, strong amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.